Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. This week on the podcast, we bring you another great course from the Commune Library. As you may know, in addition to being a podcast, Commune is also a video course platform featuring a wide range of programs from top teachers on personal growth, yoga, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. Essentially, everything that you need to be holistically well. This week, we will be releasing the first five parts of David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. David Kessler is the world's foremost expert on grief and loss. And when David was young, he witnessed a mass shooting while his mother lay dying in a nearby hospital. These simultaneously occurring events propelled him toward what has become his life's purpose, helping people manage, recover, and even find meaning in their grief. He facilitates talks, workshops, and retreats for those experiencing loss, as well as training physicians, nurses, counselors, police, and first responders about end of life and trauma. Over the next five days, we will be releasing the first five parts of David's series. If you want to watch the full video version of the course, which includes 10 core lessons plus Q&As, yoga practices for grief, and downloadable worksheets, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com help and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's O-N-E Commune dot com slash help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full length version of help for the hurting heart. We will always email you before your free trial is up. But if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are the key reason we are able to create and share free content like this. And If you regularly listen to this podcast, I also ask that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcatcher. Tap follow show and leave us a review. It really makes a huge difference. And now here's day five, where David reveals that all grief does not have trauma, but all trauma has grief. To heal from trauma, you must grief. It's time to talk about trauma. Trauma is so important. It's so brutal. And I think many times we confuse it with grief. But here's what I want you to know. All grief does not have trauma, but all trauma has grief. Let me say that again, it's important. All grief does not have trauma, but all trauma has grief. So if you're doing trauma work and skipping the grief, you're missing a part of the trauma. So it's really important that we look at both aspects. So let's talk about what is trauma. Psychological trauma is the unique 
individual's experience of an event, a series of events, a set of enduring conditions in which the individual's experience and ability to integrate all the emotions becomes overwhelmed. So it's the individual's experience of all the emotions that becomes overwhelming. So if someone else goes, well, that's not traumatic, maybe not to them, but traumatic to me. So what is overwhelm? When I say our emotions become overwhelming, what does overwhelm mean? It's the ability or inability to stay present, to understand what's happening, to tolerate the feelings or comprehend the horror of the individual experience of a threat to life, body, integrity, or sanity. How can you take on these feelings? They're bigger than anything you've experienced. So of course, it is overwhelming. And that is the trauma. Now, there's three separate things we don't often understand. So I want to lay them out. There is the grief. There is the trauma. And there is the traumatic moment we get stuck in. So when we talk about trauma, I often think about when is the person? When are you? We always know how are you and where are you, but when are you? It's really an interesting concept, the idea of when are you? So here's what I mean by that. Let's say that you're talking to someone. They say something that triggers you. You are suddenly back in the funeral home or you're back in the trauma, or you're back watching your loved one die. Things take us back into the trauma, right? Into the traumatic moment. What do we do in those situations? So, for example, there was a woman, and I wrote her about her in um, Finding Meaning because I thought it was such an important thing to really show how this works scientifically in our heart in relationship to grief and trauma. This woman shared, retired with her husband. They went on a road trip. They were going down Route 66 across the country. They were told if they got off the main freeway, they could go down this deserted highway and they could like actually get out of the car and stand next to a gigantic cactus. So they wanted to see these huge Cacti, I think that's right, right? So they're going through. They stop. At one point, her husband pulls over on the side of the road. They got out of the car. They're so shocked at how big this cactus is. He wants to take a picture of his wife. There's no cars coming down the deserted highway, freeway, highway, on the deserted highway. Stands there, crosses, takes a bazillion pictures. You know how we are. He's stand, he stops at the side of the uh, highway and is scanning through his um, 
phone to see which picture he likes and if he got her in. So he's standing at the side of the road looking at his photos and a car begins to come down the old deserted highway. And the car sees him and thinks he's stopped on the side of the road and his wife thinks he's stopped and he's looking. And as the car gets closer, he walks right in front of it. The car hits him. His wife says to me, David, every day I watch him get hit again. Every day I see that in my mind. The trauma of watching him die every day is horrific. I said, isn't it bad enough? He died once and now he dies every day. So I wanted to help her with that. When is she? She's still in the horrible traumatic moment. Okay, so here's what I would have her do. I would work with her, have her sit down, say, okay, let's take a moment. And these are grounding exercises. What you're going to see, I've added a twist to help with the trauma. So I'd say, okay, let's sit. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel your hand, your hands on your legs. Feel your elbows on the seat. Feel your butt in the chair. Why do we do that? Right? Ground ourselves, tactile, connected. Then I might say, take some deep breaths, breathe into now. What am I grounding her into? Or more important, where am I grounding her in? I'm grounding her in to the now. I'm grounding her in to the now, right? Bringing her back to the now. Then I might say to her, let's look around the room and let's name five things in the room. So she might say, I see a clock. I see a pillow. I see a pen. I see paper. I see telephone. I would name five things I see in the room. What does that do? It grounds us in the now. Okay. Then I would say, I'd like to start by naming five things that are not in the room. I don't see an ironing board in the room. I don't see a cow in the room. I don't see a blender in the room. Um, I don't see a um, um, antenna in the room. Um, I don't see uh, a weight set in the room. And I would say to her, now you name five things that are not in the room. And she would name five things that are not in the room. And I'd go, all right. I also don't see your husband getting hit by a car in this room, in this day, at this moment. I've brought her into the now. I've taken her out of the traumatic moment of seeing her husband getting hit by a car, planted her in this chair, elbows on the chair, had her breathe, name five things that are here, name things that aren't here. Wow, let's breathe into that. You're safely in the chair. There's the clock and the pen. There's no ironing board. There's no this. And 
your husband's not getting hit by a car. I have now taken her from the traumatic moment, placed her in the now. I don't want to stop there. We don't want to leave our loved ones in the traumatic moments. I've seen so many people work with people and they get them out of the traumatic moments and leave their loved ones behind. We don't want to do that. So I would say to her, where's your husband now? Where is he right now? A lot of times when I work with people, they'll say they're in heaven or they're in the afterlife if they have religious beliefs. And I'll say, okay, wow, let's really breathe all of this in. We're safe in this chair, in this moment, with each other, taking full breaths, seeing what's in the room, seeing what's not in the room. You're safe here. And your husband is no longer getting hit by a car, safe in heaven. Now, I could be working with someone who's an atheist. I might say to them, what did you do with your husband's body? If they said, oh, he was buried. Wow, let's breathe into that. Your husband is safely six feet under, never getting hit by a car again. Or he was cremated. Your husband's in a special place in your house, in the ocean, never getting hit by a car again. So think about those concepts, right? So part of what we think about is to come out of the traumatic moment, both us and the people who were there and bring them into the now. How many times do we refeel our feelings of yesterday? We refeel the terror, we refeel the pain. What do we call that? Post-traumatic stress. I'm more interested in the post-traumatic growth than we can, that we can find. So think about bringing us and our loved ones into the now. Even if your loved one didn't die, how many of you are still in the divorce proceedings? How many of you are still in the betrayal? We get stuck in these horrible moments. You can't ignore the trauma what happened, it was real, and you want to keep moving fully through it into the now. Now, when you come into this now, I have helped you get out of the traumatic moment. It doesn't mean the trauma is gone, but at least you're not in the traumatic moment. And to really think about this, that traumatic moment had a beginning in time and an end in time. It is over in time. You are no longer in that traumatic moment. You are no longer in the assault, in the rape, in the betrayal, in the watching them die, whatever, in the phone call. You are now further away from it. They only died once. It only happened once. We don't want to get stuck in that moment and cause ourselves additional suffering. And I don't think we often know how to move through it. That's why I think these techniques are so important to really get out of the moment of pain of when it happened. It is over now, thank goodness.
So we've talked about the trauma a bit. What happens? You're going through life. It's things are okay, maybe. And all of a sudden, something triggers you. You are triggered by something. Now, we often think there can't be triggers. I got to get rid of the triggers. I can't be around triggers. It's pretty impossible to rid yourself of triggers. I actually believe triggers are where the pain lives, but they're also where the healing resides. Your triggers are a map of your grief and a map of your healing. If people are like, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to heal. I'm like, tell me about a trigger. It's the map. Now, as I said, sometimes we get stuck in this. I have to stop the triggers. I got to get rid of the triggers. You can't. If I said, you know, blue is a trigger. No one wear blue. Someone's going to wear blue. And if I get everyone to like at an event or something, not wear blue, then they're going to show up with jewelry. Oh, jewelry is a trigger. I forgot to tell them no jewelry either. I mean, anything could be a trigger. I work with the police department. I uh, had a group of police officers whose children died by suicide with the police officer's gun. So unfortunate that there's even enough to have a group. But what was interesting is in the first meeting, I always talk about triggers and grief. And I started explaining about triggers and I looked at their faces and I realized, oh my goodness, triggers are how their loved one died. I can't use trigger as a word in here. So I learned to say to them, whenever you walked into that room, you had a heightened emotional response because everything can be a trigger, even the word trigger, right? So it's if you're in acute grief, absolutely try to avoid the triggers. Maybe you're going to drive around the hospital where your loved one died to avoid it for a while. That can't be a long-term plan. If someone says to me at two months, they're still driving around the hospital because it triggers them. Absolutely. Five years. We need to talk about that. That pain needs attending. So just think about this idea of looking at those triggers for healing information to know you can't get rid of them, to see them as clues of what might need your attention next. And remember, we have so many intrusive thoughts or images that also come up in trauma. So people often want to know, David, I'm having these intrusive images. What can I do about them? So first of all, let me explain a little bit more about how our mind works. I mentioned the word integration. Our mind needs to integrate things. If I meet uh, Jim, who's a physician who works in oncology, my mind can integrate that. People I know named Jim, doctors I know works in oncology. If I meet Sarah, 
who's an elementary school teacher, lives in my neighborhood. I can integrate her. My mind can do it pretty quickly. I know people named Sarah, people who live in my neighborhood, people who are elementary school teachers. I can integrate it pretty easily. On the other hand, when you open a door and find a loved one dead, or open a door and find the person you're in love with cheating with someone else, or there's just some horrific image around the death, the trauma, the loss, those intrusive images, you don't integrate them that quick. It takes time. It takes a long time. So people will say to me at month one, month two, month three, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this out of my mind. Your mind is trying to find a file for it. It's not like an elementary school teacher. It's not like a physician. You don't have a file for those people. You know, I think of our mind as like either you can think of it as the old fashioned filing cabinet or with papers and files, or you can think about files on your computer. We've got files named neighbors, files named people I know at work. Dead bodies I've seen, you don't got a file for that, right? So our mind can't integrate these. So just know it's normal, early in grief for those horrible images to keep floating around in the trauma. But in time, you want your mind to be able to integrate them. Sometimes people will say, it's been two years, three years, five years. I keep seeing this intrusive image. So some of the things we talk about that can help is to realize, of course, that image was seared into your mind. But remember, you have the power to change your thinking. Now, I want to be very clear. In trauma, the intrusive image may appear. I am in no way saying you have the power to stop intrusive images. But you do have the power for how long you linger on them. You do have the power whether you stay on them for a long time. So in my mind, if an image comes up around the last day of my son's life, I have a set of images I switch to. I've got a birthday, I've got a Father's Day, and I delve into those images immediately. One other thing you can do is you can remember the day they died is one day out of their life. Not every day, one day. Really think about those other days, right? If you had a miscarriage, if you've had a baby die, you might not have as much time, but maybe you have a picture of the sonogram or, you know, just a picture of the room you decorated. So think about what are images we can switch to in our mind. When those come up, what can you switch to? Sometimes I'll have people print out a lot of different pictures and put them around their house for a while so that their mind has lots of replacement images to go to when those intrusive images come up. So while we may have not had choice in the trauma, we have choice in how we handle it, how we experience it, how we live in the past, how we bring ourselves and our loved one into the present. We can create space in ourself for the trauma to 
live with us in a healthy way. Like I said, I talk about my son dying as my cherished wound. Can your trauma lived not as a victimizing wound, but a cherished wound in you? Can you be kind to yourself after you've been in trauma? Can you speak to yourself as if you were a dear, sweet friend that needed some extra love? So for the homework, can you do the exercise I did? Practice getting into the current moment, breathing into the moment. Can you name five things in the room? If you have a horrible image, notice it's not in the room. You can name things that aren't in the room, including that intrusive image is not in the room. If it appears, notice it, but know you can come back to your breath, bring yourself into the chair, place yourself in the chair, place your loved one, where are they? Move them out of the trauma too. What do you see, smell around you? What do you taste right now? Place yourself here in the now. Place your loved one, wherever they may be, in a peaceful here and now. And recognize that traumatic moment has ended. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from David Kessler's course, Help for the Hurting Heart. If you want to watch all 10 days of this course, plus access downloadable worksheets and yoga flows for processing grief, go to onecommune.com slash help and sign up for a free trial of commune membership. That's onecommune.com slash help. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full-length version of Help for the Hurting Heart. Feel free to email me with any suggestions and criticism, preferably of the constructive variety, at jeffk at onecommune.com. Okay, that's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.